Welcome to Moody's Mixer, winning with prostate cancer. I want to welcome you to a new episode of Winning with Prostate Cancer. We have an exciting show. Hope you stay tuned. I want to welcome to the show um, Terrence Tremell. For, your, for those who follow track and field and are tuned to what's happening in the world and people who have been at the best in the world at something. I have a man who's sitting here who's been the best in the world. So it was important for me to get him on the show. Also, he may not realize, even though he's a young boy, young man, you know, uh, he actually motivated me 17 years ago. He was part of the reason why I can do what I'm doing now, and that's fighting this prostate cancer naturally. And you know, 17 years ago is actually when I met, you know, Terrence Tremell. You know, we have the same coach. So Coach Cobb Morehouse from 79 through 83. And he had Terrence at Southwest Cab. Yep. And what, what years did he have your Southwest Cab? Uh, 93 to 97. Okay. So what transpired... Um, so Terrence, so t- let's go ahead and talk about you. So when you left Southwest to cab, um, where did you go? So, uh, my matriculation in college was the university of South Carolina in Columbia. And so in 1998, that was my freshman season at the university of South Carolina. And, uh, I agreed to come to the uh, University of South Carolina based on Coach Curtis Fry allowing me to attempt to walk on to the football team after my second season at uh, at Carolina. Um, and he probably had this in mind that I couldn't foresee, but that third year was the Olympic trials year. That was 2000. And so – I think he kind of knew there was no way I was walking on with the Olympic trials looming. But my thing was, uh, you know, if I didn't make the Olympic team, then I would walk on. And uh, So your intentions were to play football and run track, and that was the reason you actually chose University of South Carolina. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I thought at, at the University of South Carolina, I had the best chance of doing both. Um, and, and so, uh, and and plus I was close to, uh, my maternal family who lived, you know, about an hour away in North Augusta. So I grew up in the summers going there, spending time with my extended family. So it was cool to have them, uh, so close by as well. Okay. So the decision to run and get ready for the 2000 Olympics your coach didn't have to say anything or convince you. He kind of let it let it up to you to see what decision you're going to make about that choice that he didn't have to say, Terrence, man, you really need to do this. Or you just kind of just kind of said, you know what, this is the best decision. Are you ready to make decisions in your life for your life about your health? Are you ready for the outcomes? that you're making on your own without being forced to choose what you think is the proper decision.
Is there enough information in your life to make those decisions? Will your doctor allow you to make those decisions? How much power do you have over your own decisions? Football was always my first love, and I was really talented in football, but I went so far so fast in track. Um, and what, what really inspired me to pursue track was the 96 Olympics here in Atlanta. Uh, and I got a chance to see not only track and field, but I saw my event, uh, the high hurdles. And I saw Alan Johnson win, you know, the high hurdles in, in Olympic record time. I actually saw Carl Lewis win the long jump that night and, and Michael Johnson win the 400 that night. And so I told my brother at that point, um, I was like, you know what, in four years, man, that's where I want to be. What I know is that I'm bold enough to make these type of predictions for my life. That's why I'm taking this prostate cancer and the, the route that I'm taking. Because I have the goals that I'm setting too. You know, in two years, I want this cancer completely gone out of my body. And I'm not afraid to be bold about making these type of predictions in my life. Take control of your health. Take control of your life. Don't be afraid of the outcomes that you choose for yourself. I'm not afraid for the outcomes that I choose for my life. Okay, okay. So when you were at South Carolina, and I heard you say you saw Alan Johnson, you know, win the high hurdles. Wasn't he at South Carolina? That's where he went to school also? Well, he went to uh, University of North Carolina, but Coach Fry was his coach. And so he moved to Columbia with Coach Fry. Gotcha. And so um, I got to meet him summer of 97, uh, right before school started. And he had just come back from winning the world championships in 97. And so, uh, you know, he, he took me under his wing. He's, he's always been like, you know, a big brother. And I always called him like my cheat sheet because right. I, I got to see how the best in the world prepared, how they train. How, how they did little things um, for major competition. And so that gave me a certain confidence, a certain air, because I knew I had prepared like he did. So, you know, kind of seeing someone prepare like that and, you know, you've, you know, you've been one of the best in the world and competed against them for for years because you know you kind of stay on that circuit you kind of see the same same people well, are there things that each one of you probably did differently or did everybody do the exact same thing and you know it just who showed up and, and won that day i've been able to watch and listen to some of the best prepare in their lives and this is helping me through my fight right now I've listened, I've watched, and I've talked to those who have beaten cancer naturally. That's who I'm listening to. That's who I'm following also. Because with greatness, you learn to pick up the habits and the understanding what it takes to be great, to beat whatever you put in front of you. I think um, on that level, it's basically who showed up and won that day. Uh, because when you're you're at the elite level. I mean, it's the pinnacle of sport. So everybody at that level is qualified 
to win. And so it's just a matter of are your ducks lined up in a row on that day? Uh, something minor like, you know, did you get the right amount of rest? Or, you know, you could just really be feeling good that day and things are going your way. So, let, so let's say the you're in your season now and – would you say you guys are all doing the same workouts? Is everything exactly the same for each for each hurdler, you know, each track athlete? Would you say everybody's doing everything the same? Or no, so 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 people are not doing everything the same. Um, some guys are more speed slash power hurdlers. Other guys are more uh, accelerators, meaning they get faster as the race goes on, or it takes them a while to reach top speed. So their workouts and stuff are different because they have different things that their body responds to that makes them different than you. But any given Sunday, you guys can run 12-9. Right. But how you got there, it's different. How you run the race is different. Is that Would that be a fair statement to say? Yeah, very fair statement. Every, everyone has their strengths, and, and all strengths are different. Um, some people may be similar in their characteristics, but for the most part, everyone is playing to their strength. So it's not necessarily like um, uh, everyone is doing the exact same thing. But you guys are trying to accomplish the same goal, but you're getting there differently because your body, how you run, your makeup, all that, you got to do a little different. Right. 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 Okay. Do you know what your makeup is? Are you just following a protocol list that is given to everyone who walks in a particular office? I know that I ask particular questions. I need to understand how everything affects me, not anyone else, just myself. I need to have control over this. So let's fast forward. So let's you you you're at University of South Carolina. We just back up at University of South Carolina. Uh, your junior year, I think you said you decided to just go ahead and focus on the 2000 game. So at that time, you had a couple of NCAA um, meets under your belt. So how did you fare from that to kind of say, hey, I, I think I can make the Olympic team? When did it kind of hit you that the Olympic is in reach? Not so much is in reach that, you know what? I can get to the medal stand. I can get there, you know. So, kind of, how what was your your thought process? And you know, what ninety eight, ninety nine, you know, kind of getting ready. So my sophomore year in ninety nine, I made the finals to the U.S. championships. Um, I crashed out of hurdle number two or three, but at that point, and and it was it was. It was um, it was a little frustrating. I, well, I wouldn't say frustrating, but it was a lesson at that point. So I feel frustrated, man. Hey, we we get frustrated <laughs> because, because I'm I've, I've always I've always been a a very very hard competitor, and so to make it to the final and crash out so. Crashing out is a hurdle term for when you, you hit a hurdle really bad and you're not able to finish the race. Are you willing to race and take the chance of crashing out, not being able to finish the race? But you still have time. There's another race. There's another year to crash out or burn out. 
doesn't completely eliminate you. Um, and that's what happened to me. And so uh, at that point, I knew that I kind of belonged because I made it to the finals with some very, very big dogs, you know, at the time. And, and I was a baby pretty much. Right. Um, so my, my, my junior year in 2000, there was a lot of buildup for me to make the Olympic team. Um, I would go to indoor meets early in the season and the announcers over the, um, the speakers would talk about, you know, watch out for Terrence Trammell because he, he, he should make the Olympic team this year. Now, so there was a huge buildup. It wasn't, there wasn't any kind of sneaking in through the back door. Um, I, was the, I was the young kid who had a lot of potential, who showed a lot of promise, who could very well make the Olympic team. Campaigning. Yeah, it's like a campaign, basically, <laughs> that I didn't put together. It right, was just right. Something that that was kind of just out there in the atmosphere. And so I just continued to feed on it. So I was going to ask you, did you feed on it? Did you feel more pressure? Because now the expectations are higher or high, or you, you know, I won't say higher per se, because you probably were thinking that already. So, but. How did that weight feel knowing that these people were saying these things and you were not putting it out there? What are you being told? What are you putting out there? What do you want to accomplish? You set the goal. You set the expectation. And you can make it happen for you. I gained confidence from it because I felt like they could see in me the potential to do so. And I didn't feel like it was any added pressure because I had put enough pressure on myself. But I did feel like if people are continually saying it, then apparently it's it's within reach. It's in reach. Okay. So so two thousand comes around and the, the you go to the Olympic trials, is that correct? Yeah, so I won I won the NCAA championship that year and I went kind of on a little tour around uh, around the U.S. Um, running in some major meets against the uh, world-class athletes and so I was getting knocked around a little bit because it was a long season you know, long NCAA season and we went back to the drawing board for a couple of weeks before the trials and so I could just remember seeing a lot of guys that I was starting to compete against that I watched on TV coming up and realizing that I'm here now. Like, this is, this is what we talked about. I had to realize that I'm here now. And what do I want to do? How do I want to compete with this cancer? I want to compete with the best. I want to b- compete at the highest level. And that's what's given me the motivation to fight this cancer the way I am. Because I believe I belong. I believe I can make this happen. Who are you looking up to? Who are you talking with to help you make these decisions, to give you the confidence to know you belong to be cancer? Um, in the U.S., hurdling was one of the toughest events because you had so many guys that could run really fast. 
And so one thing that I always talk about in my story about making my first Olympic team was watching how the older guys would kind of cruise through the line in the rounds faster than my PR. And so it was like, man, how am I going to make this happen? <laughs> how, how, how is this going? And so. Um, yeah, I asked myself, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to beat this naturally without the traditional treatment? How can I do that? You know, in the, in the U.S., you know, cancers are the number one, one of the number one diseases. It's tough. How can I beat this? Um, and I also watched uh, some other events. And it, I had an opportunity to really observe the meaning of the Olympic trials while I was there because I watched the Clark sisters go one, two, three in the 800. And I'm, I'm really, really close with Hazel. She's like a sister. And, you know, so I was very excited for her and her sister, Joetta, and sister-in-law, Gerald. But Meredith Valman missed her opportunity to make it to the Olympic Games by one spot. And that was her fourth attempt. And so I was just thinking, and I saw how heartbroken she was. I'm like, that's a 12-plus year feat to accomplish. And your last one, you, you miss it by one spot. So I understood just how valuable that opportunity is and, and how fleeting it can be. And then I felt some pressure because I think Angelo made the Olympic team in the 400 hurdles a couple of days before my final. And so there was pressure because that's. That's your teammate. Oh, yeah. From high school. From high school. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 we, and so it was like, man, okay. So Angelo did it. So, you know. Okay. I can do it, but I, I, I know I got to step up. So I know I had to step up. I had to step up. I had to deal with the pressure of fighting this disease naturally. Um, walking into the finals of the Olympic trials, I was extremely nervous, and it was 100-plus degrees. It was 100-plus degrees out there. And so it was, it was very hot, and I remember walking from the warm-up area to the stadium. And I told Alice, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just so nervous. And he said, hey, man, just treat it like practice. And when he told me that, it changed up everything about my mindset. Because in practice, we worked really hard. And I knew I was always on his hip in practice. Whose hip are you on to know that you belong, that you can do this, that you can beat this disease? Find someone that you can hitch on to, you can practice with, to know that you can beat this. And I felt like, okay, if I'm at this point on Allen, then all I have to do is be right here when it counts, and I should make the team. And so um, we go out there, and the gun goes off the first time, but it was a false start. And so <laughs> here we are, because the old heads, they like to play games. Lane three will false start, then lane six will false start. And at that point, everybody was a, was allowed one false start. So 
the race could be live on the first gun or it could be live on the ninth gun. It just depends on who felt like they wanted to play these mind games. So I came in along that era. Like that was how I got introduced to the to the sport. The mind games are there. False starts are there. Yes. It doesn't go perfect all the time. Sometimes it's a false start. You have to get back in the blocks. You have to gather yourself. But you have to be ready. And I'm understanding that. Everything hasn't been perfect during this process. But it's a false start. I'm getting back in the blocks. I'm ready to compete. So you mentally, now it's a mental game now. Because the nervous energy that you have before race, you can't make that up. It's a natural reaction to your nerves and everything just responding to what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. So the first time that gun goes off, it's a false start. It's a heavy letdown, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's a heavy letdown because you feel like, okay, that was the start that I was really going to make a move. And, and so we go back and now... It's all about the repetition that happened in practice because you had to answer the gun every time uh, practice went off and you had starts that day. So you, we, we may have had 10, 12 starts over a different amount of hurdles, but you still had to react to the gun. And so it turned into that. And so the gun went off the second time and it was live. And so my whole thing was just don't hit the first hurdle. If you don't hit the first hurdle, you should be fine. And so I tell everybody, you know, when I, when, I, when I talk about this story, I remember hurdle one, hurdle two, and hurdle three. And then outside of hurdle three, it was almost like I had an out-of-body experience. Like, I don't recall what happened at that point of the race. And then around hurdle number eight or so, I kind of came back to. And I just remember coming off of hurdle number 10, running with everything I had to the line, and I knew Allen was well in front, and I knew Creer or somebody, because I wasn't positive. They were out in front as well, and then it was almost like a blanket finish. And so almost immediately they announced that Allen Johnson had won. He ran like 12.97, and then they flashed Creer up at second with like 13.11. And then it seemed like it took about an hour <laughs> for them to say who got third. The crazy thing is, on television, they had announced that I had gotten third uh, with 13-19, which was a big PR for me at the time. But it wasn't announced at the stadium. Uh, it took a while. So, you know, my heart was just racing, <laughs> that whole thing. And then when I saw my name flash up for third, and that I had run 13-1, you know, that was that was two major accomplishments in one. And so a whole new world opened up for me at that point. When my diagnosis of prostate cancer came to me, a whole new world opened up for me. And now I feel great and better than I ever had in my whole life. Because I know I belong, I know I'm in the right place and I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And it feels great to know, knowing you're in the race, that you know you're going to win and that you belong there. There's no feeling like it. 
you know, the Olympics is always what you want as a track athlete. And you getting there. And I, and I actually remember watching the race on TV, you know, because uh, I knew you were a runner. But you and I had not met yet. Right. But I knew who you were because of Coach Cobb and, and Angelo, you know, yourself. So uh, that was a big pickup for me. And this fight that I'm on right now, those are the things that I get strength from. You know, watching you and really hearing you say what you are going through emotionally and mentally, you know, just gave more strength for me to keep fighting this thing too. Because you had to keep fighting to make this Olympic team. So you so you make the team, you guys uh, head on over to so 2000 was where? Sydney. Yeah, that's right, Sydney. Yeah. All right, so you guys get over to Sydney. So tell me about Sydney. So funny story. Before going to Sydney, we were in San Francisco because you do like a, a a briefing, a team briefing, and so there is um, almost like an onboarding process. And so we were over. Um, we were in San Francisco. We were learning about the culture of Sydney. We were going through everything we had to go through. And so now we're going to the airport that night. <clears throat> and we were all wearing these gray Team USA sweatsuits. We're, um, we were going on the plane, and I had my passport in my pocket. When we get to the gate, I got my ticket, but I can't find my passport. So I'm backtracking <laughs> everywhere that I went. You know, to find my passport, find my passport. My passport never showed up. And so now, <laughs> so now I can't get on the flight. And so I'm stuck at the window watching the plane back up. And they're going, and I'm just saying, hey. <laughs> what did they do? They left me. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I can't even go. I don't want to miss my flight. It's nerve-wracking missing a flight, especially when you have to compete. Your nerves are gone. It seems like now, can I get off this treadmill? You know, you get this diagnosis. What's going on? What do I need to do? Some tough decisions. It's a, it's a rough place to be in. What treatment should I choose? But I have to recover. I have to make this happen. I have to get on this flight somehow. I have to make it to Sydney. I've worked so hard to get here. And here I am missing this flight. I've worked so hard to take care of my body. And here I am with the diagnosis of prostate cancer. How do I recover from this? What happens now? So anyway... What wound up happening is we had a, uh, it was a flight on United. So one of the, one of the administrators from United or from the U.S. team spoke with the people from United and we actually found a passport right there in San Francisco. So they gave me a, a complimentary room for the night. I had to go down to the 
social security office. I mean, the passport agency. Okay. Take my, my photo, pay to get it expedited, that sort of thing. And so I just kind of hung around San Francisco like all that day and got uh, got my passport finally. And I was at the airport. I, I can't tell you how many pockets and zippers I put that passport in <laughs> that second time. But uh, this lady's so nice. And I can't remember her name, but I, I we kept in touch for a while because she really looked out for me. She actually gave me a, a business class seat to go over to Australia. Wow. And um, I'm going to tell you, going to Australia in business class was nothing like it because coming back, I was not in business class. And that was a long <laughs> This is turning lemons to lemonade. It looks like, am I going to get over there? I got to get my passport. What happens with this diagnosis? Man, I'm going to die. I have cancer. But can you turn this around? I'm turning this around because I know that I'm in the right place. I feel the best I've ever felt in my life. My body, mind, and spirit. Over there, we had a chance. I mean, we, we saw everything. I, I I met Yao Ming over there, um, and he's every bit of seven foot six, uh, like they said, the, the the great Chinese basketball player that played at Houston for a while. And I met so many other famous people. Um, we met both the Williams sisters. Um, we met everybody on the dream team at the time. Allen Iverson was on the team, Vince Carter, and Kobe and so it was a it was a great it was a great it was a great time and this was before 9-11 so everything was really kind of cool it was it was um, it was fun and, and and we enjoyed all the festivities I got to watch boxing and, and swimming and all those things and you just meet people from literally all over the world in one concentrated area mm-hmm. uh, which is the Olympic Village and Food was just like abundant. It was it was from every culture. On top of the fact that we had free McDonald's, you know, <laughs> and they still had the fried apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> so so your diet there might have been a little different than like a diet I'm on right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you get free McDonald's, man. You taking advantage, especially when you're 21. But, um. But I tried things from all different coaches because I wanted to be experienced like everything I could. Right. Um, and so anyway, just being able to watch the events and, and, and being on a track for a major championship, like a world championships or an Olympic Games, is totally different than at any other. Like when you're actually on the track, the competition track, it looks like everything you see on TV. Mm-hmm. with all the different cameras, all the different spectacles. All, I mean, it looks exactly like what you see on TV. So it's something special, and I'm sure the adrenaline just flows the first time you walk on that track for your preliminary. So yeah, I know that had to be even maybe more nerve-wracking than your final at the mm-hmm. Olympic uh, trials. Well, 
You know, how how do, how do those two compare? Because now, to your point, you had a much b- bigger event. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel the first time, you know, you ran your prelims? So this is something that I noticed. All of the youngsters feel pretty good the first round or two. Then they start getting nervous or antsy in the semifinals and the finals. The old heads. They're nervous the first round, and then they feel more at ease as things go on. So for me, I felt, I felt fine. I, I, I felt okay in that first round. Um, I vividly remember it was in the morning, because at that time we had, we raced for two days. We had two races on the first day and two on the second day, and that was important to note because, like, right after that, they changed the format when you ran one round for four days straight so i'm in my preliminary round right now i'm feeling the nerves but i know i have a good teacher so i'm doing the plan i'm um so we get through i get through the first round and then we come later on that afternoon that evening for the quarterfinals and i had colin jackson in that round who's the current world record holder at that point. And so, um, let me see, I won, I won my semifinal. I mean, I won my, my first round and my semifinal, I mean, my, my quarterfinal. And I think I got first or second in the semifinal. And so I felt really good. But then for the final, we competed right after Kathy Freeman ran the 400 meters and she's from Australia she's aborigine from Australia so that was a major major moment for the Sydney Olympic Games and I just remember that night looked a whole lot different than that first morning when I ran it was 103,000 in the stadium Mm -hmm. and they were loud and I loved every moment of it because I just fed off of that energy and I, I, I remember walking down the tunnel to go, because we had already done our f- last call. And so going from that warm-up area down the tunnel, I just remember reverting back to four years prior when I told my brother, like, in four years, man, that's where I want to be. I'm telling myself where I want to be in four years. I'm telling myself where I want to be in 10 years. In 15 years these are the steps you have to fight through it It doesn't happen overnight and I'm going to beat this thing and I'm going to keep fighting I want to walk out onto that track and said I said this four years ago and I got kind of emotional at that point but it turned into excitement and you know I still had some football in me at that point so I was kind of you know <laughs> Rah um, rah! Yeah, yeah, and so, <laughs> and so we walked out, and I just remember just how the stadium, like the stands, looked like they would never stop going up as we walked out of the stadium. I mean, out of the tunnel, and so, um, I mean, it was a nighttime atmosphere. You saw all the lights, you saw all the camera flick, and you know, it was a moment that. I mean, here we are. Right. You know, here we are. Right. 
You said this is what you want. Here I am at this moment. I got the diagnosis. Now I have to run this race. You said you can handle it. You said you have the faith. You said you believe that you can beat this. Now it's time to perform. And so I remember setting up the blocks, hearing the music in the background, warming up, getting prepared. Uh, my mom and my dad, you know, they were both in the stands. And, uh, you know, here, here's the big moment. And so we line up and they're giving us introductions. And at this point, you know, they're giving off introductions to everybody in the race. Well, at this point, we had the current world number one hurdler, uh, Anil Garcia from Cuba. I was in four. Allen, who was the defending Olympic champion, two-time world champion, was in five. Mark Creer, who was a con uh, Olympic silver medalist from the previous games, was in six. Had Florian Schwarthoff, who was a bronze medalist from that game uh, there. And then you had Colin Jackson, who was still the world record holder there. And you have just all these measures. And then you have me, 21-year-old junior in college, who's won some NCAA titles. But at that level, that's nothing. Now it's just me to make the decision on what I want to do with my treatment. It's just me. I don't have an MD, but I have to make this decision on how I want my treatment. You know, and so it was at that point that I heard over the speaker that I was ranked number six in the world. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> number six. And so, um, when they said runners to your mark, you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. And it was a deafening, I mean, it was the, 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 the silence was so major. The silence was so major at that point. And, and it was, you know, it could really, really, it could be intimidating if you allowed it to be. I'm not going to let this stage intimidate me. I'm not going to let a physician intimidate me to make a decision that's not in my best interest to win this race. But I just fed off of it and I said, okay, don't hit number one. If you just don't hit number one, you'll be fine. And so we get down in the blocks and the gun goes off. And it's a false start. And I said, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Okay. All right. Let's be ready for the next one or the next one or the next one. And so at this point, the gun goes off. And I kind of floated number one a little bit to make sure that I didn't hit it. And I remember kind of the same thing happening again around hurdle number four, three or four. It was kind of like an out-of-body experience. I always said in those moments, it was probably God just taking over so I wouldn't screw up whatever his, his plan was, you know. And so I came back around hurdle number eight, and I was in fourth because my, I felt like, I felt like, okay, naturally I should get maybe fourth. If somebody's having a bad day, I could probably get third, you know, give me a bronze. But that's all I was looking at at that point. 
um, yeah, I was happy to be there, but I did want to make some type of impact. And so as we continued to go, Mark and Allen were bitter rivals at the time. And so they were kind of fighting each other. They were tensing up, trying to beat one another. So as they were doing that, they were hitting hurdles, and I was running clean towards the end. And so I think it was between hurdle eight and nine or hurdle nine and ten where I actually went from fourth to second just like that. And so I came off of number ten, and I just ran for the line and uh, dipped. And, of course, Garcia from Cuba won, and I got silver with another personal best. And, you know, at that point, man, I was I was on cloud nine. So I'm feeling my personal best. And I've, I'm achieving what I expected to achieve. And I'm actually feeling better than anticipated. Now it's ready for the next race. You know, for me. And, and so when, we, you know, when we met 2003, uh, you know, I remember Coach Cobb came to my office and I, you know, at, at that time I just found out my blood pressure was high. I found out my uh, cholesterol was high. And so, you know, and I wasn't upset or anything. I was like, okay, you know what I got to do. I got to lose weight. I was 193 pounds, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, I was way, way overweight and Coach Cobb came by and, he came by, it was, it was October, and he said, hey, big guy, what you doing? I said, coach, I'm just getting ready to get, get back in shape. I got to lose this weight. You know, doctor told me I'm out of shape. He said, well, Corey, why don't you come on out with me? Uh, you know, we got some unfinished business anyway, and, you know, Terrence and Angelo are coming back to get ready for the 2004 games. You know, I think that was the Athens games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I said, what you mean? He said, come on out and run, man. You know, you can run Masters and, you know, we're going to be out there. You know, this is this is the fall, so we're going to be b- building our base. We're going to be over at the park right off of, um, was it Rainbow and uh, Cantler, uh, Columbia, Exchange Park. And we were all out there running hills. So you got to understand, here I am, and you probably didn't know at that time that I had just got, diagnosed with high blood pressure and high cholesterol and I'm there just to try to get in shape to lose the weight and stuff and you know seeing you guys because you guys are already because Angelo won the gold yeah he did so both of you guys here you guys Olympic medalists you know Olympic champions in the whole world I'm like why what world champions then you know I'm like I'm out here with these guys you know so hearing you talk about when you heard those names and it's like, man, these are these guys and, you know, I belong here, you know, not that I'm competing at your level and your level trying to go to Olympics. I'm just trying to lose weight and see what Masters track and feels like. But it changed my life because we run in the hills, getting our conditioning, getting our base as Coach Cobb has always had us all do. And so it, it brought me back to my Morehouse days running in college. I'm like, man, I'm running base again. But this is the same thing these guys did. Well, I had to remember, Coach Cobb had all of us. 
So this was nothing new for any of us. So I'm like, you know what? Okay, this is going to be okay. And I remember going out there, and this is the part, I, I, this is what really got me over the top. I remember when we went into the office at Southwest DeKalb, because Coast Cop is a weight junkie, You're always making sure you weight, your body fat. And I remember looking at y'all, and I remember then getting on the scale, and he, he checked my body fat. I said, wait a minute. I lost some, some of this weight and stuff. I, I'm lower than that. But it, I'm looking at y'all. You know, I'm like, man, look what's going on? Now, I'm, I'm 43. You guys, what, 24, 25? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, man, I got a long way to go. But I just, I, I'll never forget that. And then, you know, us finally getting to Panthersville, you know, to start actually training in January, February. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just remember, you know, your training and, you know, Angelo's training was a little different. You know, I was more with Angelo and the other quarter milers, you know, kind of doing, you know, really the same workouts. My time was just slower, you know, and I remember you being over there isolated because everybody else were, were quarter guys and you were the only sprinter, you know, and watching you do those drills and, being, you know, just kind of by yourself and, you know, coach over there showing you these different drills and, you know, because quarter hurdlers, you know, they hurtling drills is not as intense right. as yours. Yours is definitely more technical right. than a quarter hurtler race. And I just kind of remember seeing how focused that, you know, everybody was at, doing what they needed to do to get the result that they wanted. I know I have to be focused to get through this treatment, to get the results that I want. And I want you to be focused if you need to get the results that you want also. But we all can achieve the results that we want. Let's understand what our body needs, what our body's asking for. Let's get in tune with it. Let's find out what's happening with our bodies. And I, I, that's when I said to myself, if I want the result to get my blood pressure down, because I, I wasn't even thinking about what the goal was from a running perspective. It was just all about health for me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I remember going to that very first Nationals, because this was 2003 when we met. Now here we are in the spring and the summer 2004, you know, this was my first master's. And the only thing I said was, I just want to get to the finals because when I get there, well, Sandra Nix was there, you know, Sandra Nix is a gold Olympic gold medalist. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Billy White Shoes Johnson, um, Lofton, you know, mm -hmm. so there are some elite athletes. They're, that were running master. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be okay. So I remember, and I, and I finally got, I made it to the finals. And I don't know, I got sixth or seventh, you know. And I was just like, okay, I got some work to do. And because I remember Sandra Nix from college. And I said, so from that point on, you know, I just had to start training to get myself together, to get my weight down, to just to get my body back under control. Yes, the work is paying off. I'm getting my body under control. I'm ready for this next race. 
I'm ready to beat this cancer. And from that point, I say I would never let my body get to where the way it was. I had to control my body. So what you may not realize that that meeting we had in 2003 and in training with you guys for that whole ye- that whole year, really, and watching you guys then go to the 2004 games. So take me through your 2004 experience over in Athens. Um, so 2004 was different because the expectations were different. Um, at that point I had already won, you know, an Olympic silver medal. I was already a world champion. And so the goal at that point was to get a gold medal, you know, an Olympic gold medal. And now at this point, things are a little bit different because once you hit medal status in the sport, certain things become available. Um, different sponsors, different uh, contracts and things like that. And I could remember really wanting to maximize my potential as far as being a, not necessarily a, a, a star athlete per se, but just to the point where I knew I could transition, you know, my likeness, my image and things like that into other things. I want to change my likeness too. How about you? Do you want to join me in this race to change our likeness, to change our bodies, to get control of our outcomes? Join this race with me. And so, um, when we got back with Coach Cobb, it was a, it was different because we started back doing a lot of long training type stuff. And I think they had just laid down that new surface over there at Panthersville. Yes. Yep. And you know it was it was it was kind of rough for a minute because we were we would the type of training we were doing. You know, it was meant for not that kind of surface. Right. Um, and so, you know, we we had some battles with being dinged up a little bit throughout the course of the season. Um, but the one thing, uh, we got together and we, we, we put a plan together for right before the Olympic trials to take over the trials. And, and, and go from there. Are you getting together with your physician, your doctor, your team to come up with a plan that makes you a champion over your health? And it worked. We, we, we sat down. He asked me what I thought. And he told me what he thought about what I thought. You know, and we put together a plan to really make some things happen now. I did not, um, I did not go to the opening ceremonies in 2004 because I had done it in 2000, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, been there, done that. We just gonna, we gonna train, we gonna prepare. We, and it was so hot in Athens. Oh my gosh, it was like ridiculously hot. Um, but it was beautiful, you know, being over there on the Mediterranean. 
and being able because we were we were in Crete for the training camp. We were over there for like two weeks, and um, I still haven't had any orange juice like I did over there in Crete. Man, it was the greatest ever. There's nothing in the states like that right now. Um, but anyway, that's when the format had changed as far as um, our competition schedule. That's when we went from two and two to four days in a row. A treatment change. They come up with new treatment for us. Decide which one works best for you. Determine to get the best outcome. But you sit down with your coach. Sit down with your doctor to determine the best outcome for you. And we thought that was the dumbest thing ever because we're no different than 100-meter sprinters, basically, as far as, like, what it takes to recover. And so our complaint was, well, you wouldn't have guys run the 100 four days in a row. Why would you have us run the 100? I mean, the hurdles four days in a row. And so um, I, I, I got off to a sluggish start in the prelims of 2004 it was it was it was really sluggish um I made it back but it was it wasn't good I think my second round I might have been in like lane two or lane seven just because my first round was just kind of sluggish um made it back I stepped down um my semifinals was was really good that I actually felt the best that night which was the third night I felt really good and so I always had somewhat of a plan of what I wanted to run each round. That way I stayed focused on that, and that way I knew my body would go down incrementally. And so I hit I hit all the marks except for in the finals. Uh, my finals, I wanted to go uh, like 1295, 1296, which, unbeknownst to me, still wouldn't have been good enough because – Lushane tied the world record that night, you know, in 12.91, um, which at that point it would have been bittersweet because I would have broken 13 and it took the world record to, to win. But I got silver again, and I was a little disappointed this time because of how I competed. Um, I was running well, and I think for a moment I didn't allow myself to keep focusing on what was ahead it was kind of okay what are they doing and I clipped one and I really got off balance and then I just fought like heck to get back into it when at that point in time if I just stayed with it you know my time would have been a lot better and might have gotten a goal maybe not I mean literally the Olympic finals is really all about who executes or who feels the best that night. It doesn't matter who you are. You still have to line up. You still have to earn it. And so um, the disappointment for me was that I know I didn't have a good race. And I was actually kind of shocked that I got silver again because I really thought I got like fourth or fifth. Um I was I was glad for silver. I was just disappointed in my performance. And so uh then it just wound up being like a blessing because it's like, okay, well, 
you know, people don't get the opportunity to do this. Now, how rare is it that you make an Olympic team? How rare is it that you make two teams? Even more so, how rare is it that you get one medal and you come right back and get another medal? The same value. You know, so there there's a blessing in this. You 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 didn't have a good race, but you still got a a medal, the same value of medal. I'm competing for my medal. And I want the gold. I want that value that I've worked so hard for. And you can get that medal too. You can win. You can do this. Join me in this race. Um, from a performance. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, you know, things that happen in our lives. You know, you, you always wonder, you know, why? You know, I, I, I've never wanted to be a victim in my life. And I think that's why taking control of my treatment and, and recovery is so important because I want to be able to control the outcomes. And whatever the, the world may say or what it appears, I've always been able to kind of look at myself to say, okay, this lemon, I can make some good lemonade out of it. And that's how this treatment has been for me is, you know what? This here is nothing but lemon. Let's turn it to lemonade. So to hear you say what you just said, and Terrence, you know, since, you know, we met, you know, 17 years ago, we've really had a real good relationship, a close relationship. You know, we worked together and, you know, we've done some things and really spent some time together. And I can even say we can cry together. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hearing you say how you felt doing these Olympics and what you're saying, you said something real powerful that you got two medals, the same value, but what you got out of it sounds like it was much greater than the value of those medals. If anything about yourself, mm-hmm. that's what I'm hearing and feeling that's coming across. And and me hearing that, seeing it, and you know, it's letting me know that, you know, no one can value what you go through, but yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm valuing this process, you know, very high in my life, if not probably the highest thing in my life. And I've had a great life, you know. I really have nothing to complain about for my life. And this here is just making it even better. You know, how I feel, you know, how my brain and my mind, everything is just so clear now. And so to hear you, you know, tell your story is, 
is is, is something special. And you know, I, I remember your your your, your father. Uh, I remember when he got ill, and if my memory serves me correctly, didn't he have cancer also? He did. Okay. Do what? What cancer was it? It was. It was colorectal cancer. Okay. And then uh, it metastasized in his lungs. Right. Yeah, and I, I I remember when that happened, and and I remember seeing you what you were going through at that time, and you were one of the first persons I thought about when I got my diagnosis because, you know, I've seen a few people, you know, deal with cancer. And when you get something that someone else has experienced, uh, you look at it a little differently. Right. You know, I remember people always saying, you know, well, you don't know because you hadn't done it. You know, that's one of the, the issues I, I, I understand when athletes have these experts on TV always give these opinions. Right. Have never been, probably some of them never been on even a varsity high school team. Mm-hmm. But they're critiquing these athletes at the pinnacle of the sport. And not that you can't understand it and you can't really uh, give advice and help. But there is a point when you haven't experienced it, you just don't know. Right. You know, I had a guy work with me. He used to say, you don't know what you don't know. What you don't know. They don't know what they don't know. You know, and because they may have degrees and all these other things behind their name, well, we got to, they got to know more about this than I do. Well, no, they don't. Because we've been somewhere that they haven't been and have no clue. And so that's why talking to people like you is important because you've been to the pinnacle of something that most of us would never experience. And I remember not knowing what it's like cuz I you know I had both my parents to last year and I lost both of them last year. And and I was I've always been thankful to have my parents when I was in my fifties because the relationships you can have with your parents as you go through your decades is different. You know, there's certain things you understand, there's certain things you you know, it don't even matter no more. As a little kid, stuff used to just bother you, you know, when your parents said something or did something or how they were or whatever. But as you get older, it's just like, that's them. They bad. I like, you know, this is cool. Mm-hmm. But as you know, when you're young and immature, you don't get it all. So when that, when I got my diagnosis, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, how you felt. And, and that's all I could kind of d- draw from, you know, I, because it's getting closer to me being in touch with people with, with cancer. But I just didn't quite get it, you know. Uh, to me, it was like, man, you get cancer, you you dead. You know, 
So the strength that I, I that I've gotten, you know, and and being close to you at that time, I'm like, okay, I can beat this. So that whole package of the track and field and your father, you know, you don't know the impact and the strength that I've gotten from our relationship. So that's why having you on the show was important for me. And I tell everybody, this show's for me. This is my therapy. This is part of my medicine that I, I go through. And, you know, I really appreciate you, you know, coming up here, first of all, to, to do this interview. And I appreciate the friendship and the relationship we have, we, we've had for the last 17 years. And, and I know you have come to me and we've talked and I've been the big brother, so to speak. You know, we both dogs, arr, 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 arr. you know, uh, you know, so that, that was something you and I had in common, you know, that really brought us together that we, so we had a kinship already. And now I'm drawing on my little brother, you know, that, Hey, I need, I need, I need you now, bro. And so this, this conversation, this talk, and you going through this journey with me, you know, is, is important. You know, I know I'm going to get that gold medal, you know. And when that doctor says I'm cancer-free, you know, it's going to be a celebration. You know, it's going to be that out-of-body experience. Like, you know, so right now, you know, I'm – as you say, I'm in them first couple of hurdles right now. You know, right now is just kind of out of body right now. You know, I'm just in it. And I know I'm getting ready to hit this fourth hur hurdle and I'm going to blank out. You know, and God's going to take over. And that's where I'm getting ready, getting ready to. You know, I, I talked about the 400 because the 400 was really the race I've ran more than anything in my life. And, you know, I'm coming in that second 110 now. You know, the first 110, I know Coach Cobb made you run a mile relay. You, I know you didn't like that, that quarter, you know. But, but you know, that second 110 is where you, you relax and, you know, you got you to gotta take control. You know, that first 110, you know, you got to get out those blocks. You know, you, you got to run a good curve. You got to stay clean because you don't want to have to, you know, run more – then you need to that second part, that second 110, you know, getting ready to go to that second last 200 because that's where the race begins. Right. You know, this is our prep. So hearing you go through your races has given me the strength, man, to get through this. And, I, and I'm going to be drawing on you, you know. So you see my number come up sometimes, you know, it's like, uh-oh, big brother needs something, you know. Yeah, I do. No, but sometimes it may be just hey, I'm, I'm just thanking you, you know, because uh, you probably didn't know the impact you had on my life, you know. But who knew when I when we met, it was because of health, and now we're doing this interview because of health. But we had some common ties with Coach Cobb and track and field and and, and Omega Sci Fi, you know. So I don't think we, you and I, are going anywhere, you know, because. You know, Coach Kyle put something in all of us, right? You know, right. that we can never forget. And I appreciate you, you know, spending some time with me, man. And 
And what I want to do, you know, as we, you know, before we get out of here, you know, kind of tell what you're doing, what's going on, how people can reach you, um, and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, well, real, real quickly, man, I, I, I really, I really appreciate, you know, the opportunity to come up and, 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 and sharing this experience with you, you know, uh, you've, the, the amount of influence I've had on you, you've had that, if not more, on me. Um, just with how you've been through your life journey, your business journey, and, and the things that you've taught me that, that have really made me a lot more savvy and a student in what it is that I'm doing. Um, you know, so this, what, what, what we do and what we have, this goes without question, you know, because I know if, if things were vice versa, you would, you would be there for me give me guidance and, and that sort of thing so you know i just wanted to acknowledge the fact that you know I, I i appreciate you i love you big bro and you know we're gonna pull through this and this this is gonna be you know a major testimony for anybody that comes behind you that has you know this type of diagnosis um but what i'm doing now i'm uh, i'm actually coaching and consulting speed development clients be it track and field football baseball whatnot combine training that sort of thing um and i'm also dabbling a little bit in the forex market just using my money to make money i've, I've learned this through COVID, and that was a major thing for me to learn uh i wanted to have a skill set that i knew once i hone in on it you know it goes back to depending on me Right, and I treat that like I did my hurdles, like that's my focus. That's what I do, um, and so uh, those are the major things that that, that I'm doing at this point. Um, I can be reached at Formel Athletics on Instagram, um, and also T underscore Tramel twelve ninety five on Instagram. Um, on Twitter, I'm Tramel Athletics, and so. Uh, I try to make sure that my posts are inspiring in some kind of way. Uh, also, talk a little bit about what it is that I do uh, from a speed development and a personal development standpoint. And so, uh, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay. Okay. Well, we, we'll be looking for some. Uh, once COVID clears up, I'll be doing a host of hurdle camps. I'll probably go on tour and do hurdle camps and clinics and, and, and coaching symposiums and things like that. Okay, well, you know, when that starts, and we lo definitely love to have you back on, and you know if there's anything that I can do here to help you, you know I'm here for you. And, you know, probably like to have you back on again. And, you know, I'm going to have Coach Cobb on, uh, you know, Angelo, so – we might have one where we all own it together. You okay. know, we can tell some Coach Cobb stories. <laughs> Man, that'll be funny. Yeah. See, you guys had Coach Cobb light. <laughs> See, I had him back in the set, you know, late seventies, early eighties. You know, he was forty years up. You know, he was a young, young whippersnapper, late thirties, early forties, and uh, you know, he was intense, really intense then. He was still whippersnapping. <laughs> <in the 90s. laughs> 
Yes, he was, man. Yes, he was, man. But, hey, man, I really appreciate this, man. And look forward to us hanging out, man, and um, doing some more stuff, man. For sure, no doubt. All right, bro. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too. All right. Well, thank you for joining the show. And I will make sure in the show notes that you can have our contact information. But as always, you can reach me at Corey M at MoodyBennettCPA.com. And I will have other information in the show notes. But please make sure you go to the website at CoreyMoody.Podbean.com. I have several videos of the guests that have been on here. And I think the videos are something you will really like and enjoy. So please make sure you go to the website. And again, I want to thank you for listening. I know this was a long show, but I hope that this show inspired you like it inspired me. And I want to thank you for following me and following Moody's Mixer. Thank you so much.